Guys, uh, I've got a little show and tell for you today. See if any of you guys have seen or remember having one of these. Right? You know I'm going to preach long because the word is bigger. Anybody have one of these? Or seen them? Right? Big old family Bible. Right? And it has lots of neat things in here. There's a genealogy listing of the family in the front. Events to remember. There's all sorts of portraits and pictures in this Bible. Those of you, how many of you guys, go ahead and raise your hand here if you have one of these Bibles. Do you have one? Wonderful. Wonderful. Where do you keep it? Go ahead. Some, huh? It's in the closet. All right. The bookshelf. Let me, let me tell you where my family kept, kept this one. Now, this is in, our, in their old home. This was in the living room. All right. But houses back then had a formal living room. So the living room was not where you lived. Right? It was the furniture you couldn't sit on, kids you couldn't go in there. You know, what's the purpose of a formal living room anyway? You know, I guess if in case the ambassador of Prussia showed up, you'd have a place to serve tea, I guess. But this is where this thing sat. And again, it has all of this neat information and things. You know, if there was a question about the Bible, sometimes my dad would tell me to go get that Bible and we might would answer a question. But as you can see, it's not intended to be super, super practical, right? I never saw anyone carry this to church. I guess you could. But, you know, you might need soldier, shoulder surgery after a while of carrying this thing around. Right? This isn't something you went to sleep reading in your bed. <laughs> right? Anybody drop their phone in the face? Going, can you imagine doing that with this? <laughs> and so, you know, the, 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 the people that put this Bible together, I'm sure had really good reasons for doing what they did. And again, with the genealogy listing and the, and the portraits to illustrate uh, aspects of God's word. But it was more meant to be maybe a family heirloom or even an accessory. And so they had that purpose when they put this thing together. But what do you think God's purpose is when it comes to this? Right? I, I use this as an illustration, and I'm by no means looking to indict anyone. But this was in closets. And this was on coffee tables, but it wasn't where it was supposed to be. It wasn't where God intended it to be. And it's true not just of big Bibles, but even the little Bibles. Sometimes we treat the Word of God not as the most important thing in our lives, but something that just goes in a place in our life. And so today I want to encourage us to have a different perspective, a different viewpoint when we go to God's Word. I want to encourage those of you who may be watching, if you have a Bible with you today or a Bible app, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
And I'm going to read, a, a, I guess, a relatively sizable portion. We're going to start at the first verse. Um, and this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy, who is now pastor of a church. And so he pastors the church in Ephesus. And this is at also at the end of Paul's ministry. Paul recognizes that his time on earth is coming to an end. And here's what he writes in this letter. Chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, let me stop there. Does that sound like yesterday or today? Right? When Paul wrote this, he said, this time is coming. And we can recognize that time is here. And so what was his advice to Timothy? What do you do when the world is falling apart? When things are going from bad to worse? Here's his solution. Let's skip down to verse 13. It says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived... But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's talk about the living room Bible. When the world is going in the wrong direction, and I, I like how Paul focuses not on the disasters of the world. You know, in these times, people have really started reading Revelation. You know, are we in the end times? But Paul has his young protege not to focus on the calamities of the world, but the character of people. And when people's character goes south, he says the solution is connected with the word of God. Here's what he tells Timothy. Here's what he tells us to do. Live what you learn. To live what you learn. He says, when things are going bad, but as for you, he tells him to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And he's talking about scripture. He didn't tell him to read it. So a lot of times when we talk about purpose, like I mentioned this, the purpose of this might be an accessory or a family heirloom. And if I were to ask you what's the purpose of the Bible, many of us would say to read it. And that's not true. The purpose of the Bible is for you to live it. And he tells Timothy, when the world is going south, you need to keep living what you have learned. 
That word translated uh, continues, Greek word, meno, means remain, but it also means to abide. Uh, in John chapter 8, uh, when Jesus was correcting some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, there were a group of Jews around, and John's gospel tells us that they believed Jesus. But Jesus knew that their belief was superficial. And here's what he says in the 31st verse. He says, if you continue, and some of your translations say, if you abide in my word, then you truly are my disciples. He says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Paul uses that same word with Timothy, to abide in the word of God. Right? Don't have the Bible in your living room. You need to live in the truth of the Bible. You need to be at home in the Bible and not just have the Bible in your home. And he gives us three reasons in this passage to really understand the significance and why we should abide in the word of God. One reason is this, there's really nothing else like the word of God. Right? I think all of us would agree with that. That it is unique. I think an atheist would have to agree there's something different about the Bible. Right? It's the most translated book. It's been the bestseller. People read the Bible all over the world. And it's different. It's been preserved across the centuries, confirmed, Dead Sea Scrolls, lets us know that we can trust what we have today, even though it came from sources millennia before. And so the Bible is different. Now, why is it different? He tells Timothy why. Theonoustos, right? What in the world is that? Compound word, theo, God, noustos, breath right? Where we get the root of pneumatic or even pneumonia. That is God breathed. He's saying we can trust the word of God, right? Even though it's come from people and all of these sources and people are fallible and they can make mistakes. And you have all these writers of these 66 books. Why should I trust the word of God when things are falling apart? Because they are writers, but there's only one author. And that's God. Matter of fact, Peter gives us an insight about the nature and the, the source of the word of God when he talks about prophecy. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. This is verses 20 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, it's not something they just figure, you know, this would be a good thing to say right now. Repent. <laughs> That's the devil. Okay, there we go. Look at the devil trying to stop. Stop. <laughs> Verse 21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do y'all see that? People didn't get together and say, hey, this is a good thing to say. Let's write this down. Here's how we can control people and manipulate people and so on and so forth. No. Came from God and carried 
along by God. That's why we call this the word of God. And when the world is being unholy and we have unholy influence on us, we need to hold on to the word of God. Not only is there nothing else like it, but we can't be right apart from it. He talks about uh, that, that it is God breathed. And then he says that it's profitable, right? For teaching. That's how we know what's right. He says, for reproof, that's how we know what's not right. For correction, that's how to get right. For training in righteousness, that's how to stay right. The only way we can be right is with the word of God. Now listen, you may say, wait a minute, aren't I deemed right? I'm justified in Christ, you're absolutely right. But it's like owning, having a key to a house that you don't live in. And we have too many Christians that have a key to righteousness, but they're not living there. And the way you move in is by living the word of God. Right? It's great to memorize. It's even better to apply. There's nothing else like the word of God. And we can't be right apart from the word of God. Here's what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham says, anyone who is ignorant of the Bible or ignorant of God's word will be ignorant of his will. And so we can't know right, we can't do right, we can't speak right. Apart from living right through his word. Here's what we need in this world. When everything is going south, we can be influenced, we can be caught up in the current. And we can start to suffer the Ill effects, Ill effects of bad character in the world. But here's our truth. And here's how we are right husbands and right wives. Here's how we raise right children. This is how we'll be right with wrong people. Right? There's a lot of wrong people. And so much of what we say in social media isn't what God says. And so we need the word of God. There's nothing else like it. And it's the only way we can be right. But there's another reason why we want to live what we learn. It's our job. In other words... There's little good in the world when we don't abide in the word of God. Now, where in the world do I get that? In that passage, it talks about the purpose. It says that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Do y'all remember reading that? In other words, apart from this, we're incomplete. We don't have everything that we need to have. And because we're incomplete, we can't accomplish everything we need to accomplish. Just last night, 
just last night, I bought this little bookshelf for my daughter, this little, you know, the particle board thing that you put together, have these kind of material little totes that you slide in the cubicles. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is what she wanted. So open up the box, you know, no problem. Gonna put this thing together, and you know, you got all these little boards, you know, the A boards and the B boards and the C boards and the double A boards and the double B boards, double C boards. <laughs> and so I start putting this thing together. Ran into a problem. These little wooden dolls that connect the shelves of, of the for the for the bookcase. Supposed to have 12. I've carried this heavy thing upstairs, laid out all this wood everywhere, and I'm one dial short. <laughs> so I just have wood upstairs and no bookshelf because it came incomplete. Right? I can't use it for its intended purposes, because I don't have everything there. And the same thing is true with you and I, ladies and gentlemen. When it comes to the ills of the world, it's not for us just to be insulated from the problems of life. God wants us to serve to be solutions. Believe it or not, when you were saved, you were saved to do good works. Anybody know that? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. What does it say? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. In other words, we can't even just claim the faith. It says, it's the gift of God so that no man may boast. And then in verse 10 it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them which he has prepared beforehand, right? And so in other words, God not, he didn't just save us, he hired us to do good works. And when we think good works, we think charity, right? Somebody needs a handout, hey, let me see what I have in my pocket. Or, you know, around Thanksgiving, maybe we can feed the homeless. It's good work, it is a good work. Disasters, we had a disaster last week, maybe we can help our neighbors out. And we kind of treat good works as this kind of, you know, if I'm in the mood, if it's convenient, it's this kind of seasonal thing. We don't look at it as our job. That we were saved to do good in this world. And one of the benefits of our doing good is that people, wrong people, get to experience a good God. Where do I get that from? Get it from the Bible, Matthew 5, 16. What does Matthew 5, 16 say? It says that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do y'all see that? Have you heard that? In other words, there is a witness of God that only happens through our doing good works. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this passage. Here's what Charles Spurgeon, and I, and I love what he says here. He says, the Bible is not the light of the world. 
He said, it's the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. And so if we don't have the light of the Bible to work out the good, then we don't put out a whole lot of light. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be motivated. I didn't come here to tell you you ought to read the Bible. You already know that. I want to move you to live this thing out, to apply it in every aspect of your life, in every corner. I don't want you to treat this thing as, uh, you know, just some kind of special book, because it is special. It is the most important book. The most important book in human history. And we treat it like the least. And so it sits up on our bookshelves. It's the least used app on our phones. But it's the answer to a fallen world. It helps people to be wise unto salvation. And we kind of just, you know, well, I'll just read a verse here every now and then. It's too important. It's too important to this plan, too important to your family, too important to you. And one of the reasons you may say, well, you know, I, I, I would read the Bible more, but I don't know how to apply it. Right? It's so complicated. It uses all this weird language and everything. Well, first of all, get a Bible in a version you can read. Preferably one you speak in. I know some of us, we love King James. It is beautiful. It sounds wonderful, but unless you understand how those words were used, it's okay to have another Bible in a language you speak, right? We don't want to pay to have the Bible translated in other languages around the world and don't understand the one right before us in English. So how do I apply God's word? What do I do to understand, to prayerfully try to live it out? There are three questions I want you to ask every time you read the Bible, all right? Three questions. Here's the first one. What did it mean then, right? Whatever you read, ask the question, what did it mean? A lot of times we try to ask, what does it mean? And so right now, you know, I'm having issues on my job, and so I'm trying to read to see what God wants to tell me right now. I mean, you know, I'm, my wife and I are going back and forth, so I'm trying to read what I should tell her to do. <laughs> She's the one that's wrong, of course. <laughs> but you don't want to focus on what does it mean. You want to start with what did it mean. And to understand what did it mean, you have to read the Bible in its context, right? You don't want to just pick a verse and just kind of read a fragment and think you're going to understand the truth of God, right? Some of you have uh, heard the, uh, the, the joke about picking verses at random. There was a, a new believer uh, was sitting in church and uh, one of the members was given a testimony of how God had changed their life, that they just randomly opened the Bible and 
put their finger on a verse and it just changed their life. It just truly blessed them. So this new believer went home and said, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing. I want to know that power of God. And they randomly flipped through the Bible and they put their finger in the first verse that they put their finger to was Matthew 27, 5. And Matthew 27, 5 says, and he went and hanged himself. So wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, maybe, maybe I didn't do that right. So I'll just flip. Finger landed on Luke 10, 37. Go and do likewise. Let's try one more time. Flip and landed on John 13, 27. What thou doest, do it speedily. No. Read the context. Know what's happening. Who's being speaking to? Who's doing the speaking? What's the situation? That's just the literary context. Then you want to Google. We, we can Google all sorts of stuff. But Google the historical context of what was written. Who wrote it? When did they write it? Because in that, that's how you get the understanding. Otherwise, when we pick just verses and fragments of verses, imagine if Jesus was preaching today. And, you know, he's, he's preaching, he's speaking, and I'm speaking Jesus, the Son of God. And we have our phone, and, you know, we're going through our text messages and our emails. And we're thinking about what we're going to do today, you know, where we're going for lunch. And then he says something about hope. And I pick up my head. And he says that we ought to have our hope. And then I go back to my text message. There's no way I understand what he was talking about. We wouldn't do that with Jesus. We would want to know everything Jesus said. So why don't we want to know everything Jesus said? Read the context. It's okay to read the whole chapter. (laughs) And so I want to know what it meant. Second thing I want to do is I want to ask, how will I think differently based on what I've read? Right? That goes back to what we read in the passage when it talks about it's profitable for some things, that it's profitable for teaching and for reproof. Both of those have to deal with our thoughts. Helps us to understand. So when I'm reading God's word, I'm asking myself, is there some sort of truth that I need to take hold of or a lie that I need to let go of? And here's the last thing, right? We talked about what did it mean? How am I to think differently? And that's in terms of God, in terms of myself, in terms of people around me. And the last is how will I live differently? Not how should, but how will I live differently. The latter part dealt with applications and actions. The first two, the teaching and the reproof, deal with thoughts. The correction and training and the righteousness deals with our actions. And so is there some sort of sin I need to stop? And if there's not just a sin to stop, is there a principle I need to start practicing? And I love the training in righteousness, right? It doesn't just tell you to become righteous. Training is something that's ongoing. And that's what our families need, ladies and gentlemen. That's what my wife needs. She needs a husband that's in training. That's what your spouse needs. 
That's what this world needs. You know, George Foreman, headweight boxer, he wrote a book, and he talked about the Bible. He said before his fight with Muhammad Ali in 1974, they called it the, the, the rumble in the jungle. And a friend of his gave him a Bible. He says, here, take this. Give you good luck. George Foreman said, you know, he really had never read the Bible. He thought it was a shepherd's manual because the only thing he had heard from the Bible was the Lord is my shepherd. But he took it because he said it was good luck. And he was used to thinking about good luck and having things that would bring him luck. He had lucky pennies and all sorts of superstitious stuff. So he had this Bible. And if it was going to help him defeat Muhammad Ali, then it was a good thing. Well, guess what? He lost. And he said he threw that Bible away. Because in that moment, he didn't think it was any good for him. It didn't seem lucky. And it wasn't until later in life he understood that the Bible wasn't meant to be a lucky charm. It was meant to be a roadmap. And we have to start treating it that way. That is, there's a road map to truth, to right. It is a road map that we have to be on, and hopefully we can bring someone else along with us. I want to end um, my time with you today by reading this quote from R.A. Torrey. And again, I'm, I'm praying that you are motivated when you leave, leave this place to begin living out God's word, to know the power of God's word. Here's what R.A. Torrey says. He says, you may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which he imparts and exercises his power, you will not have it. You may read many books and go to many conventions, and you may have your all-night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost. But unless you keep in constant and close association with the one book, the Bible, you will not have power. And if you ever had power, you will not maintain it except by the daily, earnest, intense study of that book. Ninety-nine Christians in every hundred are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, ninety-nine Christians in every hundred are mere weaklings when they might be giants both in their Christian life and in their service. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to be giants. And we have everything we need in order to do that. So let's grow up. Let's take the word of God out of our living rooms and into our living. Let's pray. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And if you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision 
that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of, of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page, our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.